You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Hi guys, and welcome back to another new episode of Uni Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat, and I'm your host. Quick reminder up top that although I am a licensed therapist, this is not a replacement for therapy. It might lead you to therapy, or it might encourage you to bring something up new in your own therapy session, but it itself does not serve as therapy. Now, earlier this morning, I'm recording this on a Friday. It will come out on Monday. I was texting my friend Amy, who has a podcast, Four Things with Amy Brown. A lot of you have heard of that and listened to that, and that's how you found this podcast. Anyway, I was texting her as I was getting my ducks in a row for the episode about how excited I was about this episode. And it just like came on to me like very quickly because this isn't an episode where I'm just teaching something to you. I'm actually trying to create a conversation around something that I bump into a lot. This episode feels more personal. I am like in it with all of you guys. So I'm excited to talk about it because it feels like I'm talking about my stuff, even though I'm talking about a lot of stuff and a lot of people's stuff. So I've been pretty vocal about my dislike for hustle culture in many episodes and just how I talk in, in general conversation, how I am in social media. I don't like it. I find it to be very problematic. And at the same time, I also am a big fan of working hard and working and like doing things, not to be confused with Kim Kardashian <laughs> and that whole situation. So I was going to do an episode on just hustle culture versus a couple other things that were coming to mind. And it all started because a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to my dad and he said something about how like nobody wants to work anymore. And well, I think that I have some personal opinions and beliefs on that, which maybe we'll get to, maybe I'll, I'll talk about and share. Well, I guess this is personal opinion. <laughs> to be honest, it does feel like no one wants to work. And 
I don't know if that actually is true, but it can feel that way right now. Where I am in my area of the world, it can feel like that. It feels like a lot of places are understaffed and I don't know the validity of this, but it does feel like people want like better paying jobs with more time off and more benefits. They aren't as willing to like start at the bottom anymore. Again, I think that it's okay that we want more benefits and stuff like that, but it throws into this like, well, nobody just wants to do this hard work kind of, kind of vibe. So when my dad said that, I replied to him pretty fast and I said, well, I get it. I don't want to work. And he, I think was confused because he looked at me and he replied something like, well, yes, you do. You work all the time. You're a really hard worker to which I said, yeah, because I have to. Like if somebody was to say, here's $6 million and just give me money, I think that I would seriously consider quitting my job and going on like a permanent vacation. But then the more I sat with this and the more people I kind of like told that story to, I wondered to myself is if this was actually true. Like would I actually feel okay if I didn't work and just allowed myself to live life day to day? And, and why or why not would that be? It sounds so nice. And then I'm like, well, would I be fulfilled? Would I be bored? Would I feel like I had a purpose? Also, would I care about what other people thought about how I was living my life? And this kind of pushed me into this reel in my head about hustle culture and how I personally feel about my generation, which would be millennials, how I feel we are viewed. And it's so confusing because on one hand, I hear this tape played over and over about how we're lazy and we don't want to do anything and we just want things handed to us and we can't do things. And then I see this other part that feels like we're all out here hustling and everyone's told to go follow their dreams and rise and grind and and don't sleep because you can sleep when you're dead and grab every essence of life kind of like mantra like just go 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 do 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 soak it all in don't stop can't stop all that and the anxiety ridden part of me was like oh my gosh this doesn't make sense I need this to be more clear I need to have a better understanding I need a general consensus what do people see us as are we this are we that and then the therapist part of me was like hey cat you know how you have a natural tendency to go black and white all the time that's my natural go-to. You don't have to do that here. Like, let's sit in this grayness. So I'm thinking about the experience with my dad. And then I'm also thinking about how the world views my generation and how I think people view me. And you know, it's interesting because I started to understand how like I fit into this rise and grind hustle box, but I also can fit into this no one wants to do anything box. Like I actually can fit into both. And from the outside, I think this is all assumptions. I have not asked anybody this, but from the outside, I feel like sometimes people can see me as this like grinder. Like I work hard. I don't stop till it's done. Like kind of like what my dad was saying, but then I'm also the person who has a closet full of things that I've ordered online that I can't manage to return. And I have literally no excuse, no reason. It just seems hard to me. There are so many small minuscule tasks that I can't get myself to do not hard, literally just blanketly not hard things that I can't do. And some people might say that she's lazy. I can work a 50 hour work week, a 60 hour work week, a who knows how many hours I can work, but I can't return an Amazon package. And that's kind of confusing to me. So I started researching for this episode that I wanted to do. And I, like I said earlier, just wanted to do it about hustle culture. And then I came across this article that I will come back to that led me to this other BuzzFeed essay from both of these are from 2019. And this BuzzFeed essay was written by Anne Helen Peterson. And it is called How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. Some of you guys might have read this or heard of this. It was new to me. And these two articles hit like every nail on the head 
So I'm going to read some excerpts from both of these. And I just want to talk about my thoughts and talk through some of this stuff with you guys. Because even though these articles are like three years old, I still think they're really important and they have been really helpful to me. So let's start with the article, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. Again, written by Anne Helen Peterson. And I'm going to just read how the article opens up because it really like hooked me in, which is, I think, the, the goal here. So Anne writes, I tried to register for the 2016 election, but it was beyond the deadline by the time I tried to do it. A man named Tim, age 27, explained to New York Magazine last fall, I hate mailing stuff. It gives me anxiety. Tim was outlining the reasons why he, like 11 other millennials interviewed by the magazine, probably wouldn't vote in the 2018 midterm election. The amount of work logically isn't that much, he continued. Fill out a form, mail it, go to the specific place on a specific day. But those kind of tasks can be hard for me to do if I'm not enthusiastic about it. Tim goes on to admit that some friends had helped him register to vote and he planned to probably make that happen. But his explanation, even though, as he noted, his struggle in this case was caused in part by his ADHD, triggered the contemporary tendency to dunk on millennials' inability to complete seemingly basic tasks. Grow up, the overall sentiment goes. Life is not that hard. So this is the way the world ends. HuffPost congressional reporter Matt Fueller tweeted, Not with a bang but with a bunch of millennials who don't know how to mail things. Explanations like Tim's are at the core of the millennial reputation. We're spoiled, entitled, lazy, and failures at what's come to be known as adulting, a word invented by millennials as a catch-all for the tasks of self-sufficient existence. Expressions of adulting do often come off as privileged astonishment at the realities of, well, life, that you have to pay bills and go to work, that you have to buy food and cook if you want to eat it, that actions have consequences. Adulting is hard because life is hard. Or, as a Bustle article admonishes its readers, everything is hard if you want to look at it that way. Millennials love to complain about other millennials giving them a bad name. But as I fumed about this 27-year-old's post-office anxiety, I was in a deep cycle of a tendency developed over the last five years that I've come to call Aaron Paralysis. I'd put something on my weekly to-do list and it'd roll over one week to the next, haunting me for months. None of these tasks were that hard. Getting knives sharpened, taking boots to the cobbler, registering my dog for a new license, sending someone a signed copy of my book, scheduling an appointment with a dermatologist, donating books to the library, vacuuming my car. A handful of emails, one from a dear friend, one from a former student asking how my life was going, festered in my personal inbox, which I used as a sort of alternative to-do list, to the point that I started calling it the inbox of shame. It's not as if I was slacking the rest of my life. I was publishing stories, writing two books, making meals, executing a move across the country, planning trips, paying my student loans, exercising on a regular basis. But when it came to the mundane, the medium priority, the stuff that wouldn't make my job easier or my work better, I avoided it. My shame about these errands expands each day. I remind myself that my mom was pretty much always doing errands. Did she like them? No, but she got them done. So why couldn't I get it together, especially when the tasks were, at first glance, easily completed? I realized that a vast majority of these tasks share a common denominator. Their primary beneficiary is me, but not in a way that would actually drastically improve my life. 
They are seemingly high effort, low reward tasks, and they paralyze me. Not unlike the way registering to vote paralyzed millennial Tim. Hey guys, Kat here, and I have something very important to talk to you guys about. Now, I know you're used to hearing me talk about therapy and how important it can be for you and how transformative it can be for you in your life. But if you're somebody who's tried therapy and it just hasn't done the trick, or you just need a little extra boost, I think I've found the next best thing. And the next best thing might just be Cozy Earth and their bamboo sheets and their bamboo pajamas. It feels like you are stepping into a buttery, cozy, warm, and cool hug all at the same time. And that's just their pajamas. Don't even get me started on their sheets. As soon as I touched them, I said, okay, we're changing the sheets right now. And the bonus is they come in this really cute travel tote so you can take your sheets with you wherever you go. Elevate your summer getaway with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, ensuring the comfort of home wherever you roam. We're all in luck because you can discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code UNEED at checkout to get 35% off. Yes, 35% off. And let them know that we sent you Unique Therapy after you check out. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay, so back to Kat. If this idea or this excerpt feels familiar, let me tell you, same. As I continue to read this article, I just kept saying to myself, yep, yep, yep. Like I kept like checking boxes to what she was saying. The cycle of feeling like I have to work, 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 then feeling overwhelmed, then not being able to answer a simple email, then having to combat that shame with more work, 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 work. I mean, that has been my life before. And we've made countless memes and jokes about how adulting is hard, right? Like why do these things that feels like our parents did just so easily, our grandparents did so easy, feel so heavy to us. And when did adulting even become a word? And if you ask yourself what adulting means, you might start to elicit a feeling because when I think about it, I think about it basically being just taking care of yourself. 
So why is that overwhelming? Like, why is taking care of myself overwhelming? Well, Peterson says in an article later that to adult is to complete your to-do list, but everything goes on that list and the list never ends. And that just kind of like hit me. Like in my head, I said my little phrase when something hits me like that, yikes, bikes, like, oh, yeah, it never ends. I never get to rest. I never get to sleep. I never get to say I, I did it. I'm done. And while I'm not one who would ever generalize everyone's anxiety to one grand reason, like if you know, you know, like I can't stand that. And I do not like when people say, if you feel this, this is why. That's not what I'm doing here. However, it also started to get me to think about me, clients that I've had in the past, clients that I have in the present who have this unexplainable anxiety. And the things that we're taught to do to help alleviate this set anxiety, these things are helpful, but they don't make the anxiety go away, right? So like make small lists, do one thing at a time, do things for a certain amount of time, ask somebody for help, do self-care. Yeah, sometimes these things help get all that stuff done, but it does not cure the anxiety. The anxiety never goes away or what we're calling anxiety. It just doesn't go away. So I want to read some more. So we're back to Anne's article. And just so you know, I'm skipping a lot of parts. This article is very long. But later down the line, she says this. For the past two years, I've refused cautions from editors, from family, from peers that I might be edging into burnout. To my mind, burnout was something aid workers or high powered lawyers or investigative journalists dealt with. It was something that could be treated with a week on the beach. I was still working, getting other stuff done. Of course, I wasn't burned out. But the more I tried to figure out my errand paralysis, the more the actual parameters of the burnout began to reveal themselves. Burnout and the behaviors and weight that accompany it aren't, in fact, something we can cure by going on a vacation. It's not limited to workers in acutely high-stress environments, and it's not a temporary affliction. It's the millennial condition. It's the way things are. It's our lives. That realization recasts my recent struggle. Why can't I get this mundane stuff done? Because I'm burnt out. Why am I burnt out? Because I've internalized the idea that I should be working all the time. Why have I internalized this idea? Because everything and everyone in my life has reinforced it explicitly and implicitly since I was young. Life has always been hard, but many millennials are unequipped to deal with the particular ways in which it's become hard for us. Okay. So Kat again, this leads me to the other article that first got me to find this article and it's titled, Why Are Young People Pretending to Love Work? This article was written by a woman named Erin Griffith and uh, it's also so good. So I'm going to link both of these articles in the show notes, but something that I've been talking a lot about with Amy, who I mentioned in the beginning of this episode on her podcast, Four Things with Amy Brown, is how annoyed... <laughs> I have been getting when people brag about how busy they are. And I have a lot of empathy here, okay? Like, I really do. I know there's something behind this, like some kind of self-worth ladder, an attempt to feel valuable and good. And at the same time, it still has been very annoying to me. And I say this knowing that I probably did a lot of this at some point. And I also say this with empathy because while you're actually working this much and that hard, it would make sense to desire validation for the output. Because often while we're hustling, there's this large chunk of time where you aren't receiving the fruits of your labor. So we want something. Why can't that be validation? So I want to read the opening of this article. Again, this article is titled, Why Are Young People Pretending to Love Work? Never once at the start of my work week, not in my morning coffee shop line, not in my crowded subway commute, not as I begin my bottomless inbox slog, have I paused, looked at the heavens and whispered, 
Hashtag, thank God it's Monday. Apparently, that makes me a traitor to my generation. I learned this during a series of recent visits to WeWork locations in New York, where the throw pillows implore busy tenants to do what you love. Neon signs demand they hustle harder, and murals spread the gospel of TGIM. This is Kat here. That means, thank God it's Monday. It took me a second to figure that out. Okay, back to the article. Even the cucumbers in the WeWork's water coolers have an agenda. Don't stop when you're tired, someone recently carved into the floating vegetable's flesh. Stop when you're done. Welcome to hustle culture. It is obsessed with striving, relentlessly positive, devoid of humor, and once you notice it, impossible to escape. Cat here again. I want to remind, I, I just feel like I need to say this again. I've been part of this, so I don't say this being like, oh my God, these people are blank. I mean, I've been one of these people. I have been on the side that has worked a million hours a week and been dead tired and just like bulldozed through my life for a couple years in order to get my career moving and going. I have to admit that also it didn't feel all bad. I've enjoyed myself in parts of this. I love working hard. And while I don't want to live my life the way I did from like probably 25 to 29 ever again, I'm grateful for where that work has brought me in certain areas. Because while we advance our careers and create all these amazing things under this hustle culture, girl boss, can't stop, won't stop attitude, it seems that we're producing something else under the seams, kind of like behind the curtain. And this doesn't get revealed until much later when we realize that we are humans and that actually we have limitations and we can't just like not stop when we're tired and stop when we're dead. We're going to eventually have some kind of repercussion or consequence from that. And if we don't stop to notice it, our bodies will force us to notice it. For me, in my inability to return the four bridesmaid dresses I bought for one wedding. It was one of those weddings where like you order on, online and you could have, you could order a couple different dresses. So I literally ordered like five, kept one. They sent me one in the wrong color and I didn't return any of them. You know how much money that wastes and how frustrating that is for me? Shout out if anybody needs a light blue or maroon chiffon bridesmaid dress, I got you. Let me know. I'll send you some pictures. So yeah, like I'm saying, like it helped me in one area, but also like then it's producing this other thing under the surface. And then I'm sitting here being like, why can't I do these things? And I have this shame built up. And so I'm sitting here in the aftermath of what a hustle mindset created. And I'm nauseated by the idea that the amount of work you do is tied to morality. Bragging about how much you work feels like bragging about your workouts. I literally do not care. And I think one of the things that I'm connecting here is just that, like I get so frustrated by this bragging mindset about how much we're working because now I'm sitting in the aftermath of it. Like, yeah, that's awesome, but it's not everything. And your moral character is not derived from how many hours you worked and how little you sleep. So then Aaron Griffith goes on to write, Ryan Harwood, the chief executive of one of 1.37 PM's parent company, told me that the site's content is aimed at a younger generation of people who are seeking permission to follow their dreams. They want to know how to own their moment at any given moment, he said. Owning one's moment is a clever way to rebrand surviving the rat race. In the New York culture, enduring or even merely liking one's job is not enough. Workers should love what they do and then promote that love on social media, thus fusing their identities to that of their employers. Why else would LinkedIn build its own version of a Snapchat story? The logical endpoint of excessively avid work, of course, is burnout. That is the subject of a very recent viral essay by the BuzzFeed cultural critic Anne Helen Peterson. 
which thoughtfully addresses one of the incongruities of hustle mania in the young. Namely, if millennials are supposed to be lazy and entitled, how can they also be obsessed with killing it at their jobs? So this article that he's referencing is the one that I started with. So they're going to fuse together, just so you know. And if you are interested in reading one, I highly suggest reading both. But here is where I also want to go off on a tangent. And I want you to stay with me because I promise my tangent will come full circle. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. So some of you guys may remember an episode I did about passion last year, about passion and, and curiosity. And it was centered around this super soul session that Elizabeth Gilbert did, who was the author of Eat, Pray, Love. And it was all about passion and following your passion. And I highly suggest listening to it. So in that episode, I talk about this, this idea that hustle culture pushes us to this space where we need to find our passion and go, go, go and work toward it and do whatever it takes to get there. And that the key to happiness and success is doing that, finding your passion, following it at all costs. And then that is how you create a purposeful, meaningful life. Now, I think the sentiment is rooted in good intentions, but the outcome of this mindset has been damaging in more ways than one. Again, I really recommend going and listening to that episode. I really recommend if you can find Elizabeth Elizabeth Gilbert's Super Soul session that she did on that. It's amazing. 
But for one, inside this idea that we're talking about is the belief that the work we do has to be super meaningful. And okay, I mean, I can make anything meaningful because I do believe that we need all kinds of jobs to survive and make the world go round. But this is a different kind of meaningful. This kind of meaningful says like, we all have to impact the world in this crazy way. And I'm all for impacting the world for good. Clearly, I am a therapist, so I want to help people. But we've created this culture where for something to be meaningful, it has to be rooted in some life-changing mission. Like say you build websites, okay? Well, that can be meaningful, right? But then the mission statements for this company that builds websites turns into some existential credo about how they help others reach their new potential of full authentic living. And it becomes this big, great, like grand thing. And I'm not feeling creative to create this made up credo, but you know what I mean? Like it can't just be like, we're helping people by helping them build their websites to help them with their business. It has to be this like life changing, huge thing. And everybody's jobs have to be so like, like directly making the biggest impact on the world that they can make. So Erin Griffith writes about this in her article as well, about how corporations have tried to almost distract from the fact that work is work by creating these innocuous mission statements. And here in the this excerpt that I'm about to read, Erin Griffith is referencing the essay that I started reading by Peterson. Millennials, Miss Peterson argues, are just desperately striving to meet their own high expectations. An entire generation was raised to expect that good grades, extracurricular overachievement would reward them with fulfilling jobs that feed their passions. Instead, they wound up with precarious, meaningless work and a mountain of student loan debt. And so posing as a rising grinder, lusty for Monday mornings, starts to make sense as a defense mechanism. Most jobs, even most good jobs, are full of pointless drudgery. Most corporations let us down in some way. And yet, years after the HBO satire Silicon Valley made the vacuous mission statement, making the world a better place, a reoccurring punchline, many companies still cheerlead the virtues of work with high-minded messaging. For example, Spotify, a company that lets you listen to music, says its mission is to unlock the potential of human creativity. Dropbox, which lets you upload files and stuff, says its purpose is to unleash the world's creative energy by designing a more enlightened way of working. So no one just wants to do, in quotes, work. We want to do meaningful work. And maybe that's where the no one wants to work comes from. To feel good, like we're doing life right, we have to do meaningful work that doesn't even feel like work. And honestly, one of my least favorite things is that phrase, like do what you love and you won't work a day in your life or what, however that goes. And listen, I like my job. I even love my job most of the time, but it still feels like work. And also when I start to make my hobbies jobs, which I have done that, then they start to feel like work. And also why is it bad to have separation from work and other parts of your life? So as I read through these articles, I started to get antsy for a solution. I wanted to scroll to the end of the articles, and maybe I did, and see what the action steps were at the end. What does all of this mean? What the heck do we do with this? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true that no one wants to work anymore. I wanted to know. But is that because we're lazy? Or is it because we are finally catching on to the ideas that have been sold to us, and we are realizing that they don't work? So Peterson writes in her essay, Students are convinced that their first job out of college would not only determine their career trajectory, but also their intrinsic value for the rest of their lives. 
I told one student whose dozens of internship and fellowship applications yielded no results that she should move somewhere fun, get any job, and figure out what interests her and what kind of work she doesn't want to do. A suggestion that prompted wailing. But what will I tell my parents, she said. I want a cool job I'm passionate about. Those expectations encapsulate the Millennial Rearing Project, in which students internalize the need to find employment that reflects well on their parents, that's also impressive to their peers, and fulfills what they've been told has been the end goal of all of this childhood optimization. Doing work that you're passionate about. Whether that job is as a professional sports player, a Patagonia social media manager, a programmer at a startup, or a partner at a law firm seems to matter less than checking all of those boxes. Or at least that's the theory. So what happens when millennials start the actual search for that holy grail career and start adulting, but it doesn't feel at all like the dream that they had been promised? Cat here again. What I know is it doesn't work for me to kill myself working 100 hours a week when then I feel like I can't even function in my outside life. And by outside life, you know what I mean? Like not just working. Especially when I realized that what I was told work was gonna do for me doesn't happen. Some jobs are just jobs and I don't like that when we realize this, we feel like we have either been sold a lie or that now like my work is all for nothing. Like there's no point. In Peterson's essay about burnout, she ends up asking the question, like, what do I do now? Just like I was wondering, like I wanted to skip to the end of the, of the articles. How do I fix this problem? How do I like avoid burnout? How do I avoid this like overarching millennial burnout? Do we ask for more vacations? Do we do this? Do we that? Do we do more self-care? Like what is the answer? And then she starts to wonder, maybe this isn't the question we need to be asking. And then she writes, Many of the behaviors attributed to millennials are the behaviors of a specific subset of mostly white, largely middle-class people born between 1981 and 1996. But even if you're a millennial who didn't grow up privileged, you've been impacted by the societal and cultural shifts that have shaped the generation. Our parents, a mix of young boomers and old Gen Xers, reared us during an age of relative economic and political stability. As with previous generations, there is an expectation that the next one would be better off, both in terms of health and finances, than the one that had come before. But as millennials enter into mid-adulthood, that prognosis has been proven false. Financially speaking, most of us lag far behind where our parents were when they were our age. We have far less saved, far less equity, far less stability, and far, far more student debt. The greatest generation had the depression and the GI Bill. Boomers had the golden age of capitalism. Gen X had deregulation and trickle-down economics. And millennials? We've got venture capital, but we've also got the 2008 financial crisis, the decline of the middle class and the rise of the 1%, and the steady decay of unions and stable full-time employment. Which, this is Kat again. Maybe you want to rewind that and listen to it again, but like, oh, I don't even have words for that. It's just is like that, like those are my feelings. And then this brings me to something else. We haven't talked about this yet. I think I mentioned it in a, as I was reading something from an article, but we didn't talk about it. Something that millennials were the guinea pigs of, something that deserves a space in this chat for sure. And that is social freaking media. Think about what people tend to post on social media, right? It's mostly the fun, exciting things, 
no one really gets envious of someone posting about being in the office till 2 a.m. I mean, somebody may do it. We've probably all posted a picture of some like bid for sympathy in regard to being overworked and overtired or something like that. But that's not what we look at and what we want and we see and we get envious of. It's when we see the highlight reels. And Peterson also says in the same essay, one thing that makes that realization, and she's talking about the lack of the promise that I just mentioned earlier um, about what jobs and work and all that would be. One of the things that makes that realization sting even more is watching others live their seemingly cool, passionate, worthwhile lives online. We all know what we see on Facebook or Instagram isn't real. But that doesn't mean we don't judge ourselves against it. I find that millennials are far less jealous of objects or belongings on social media than the holistic experiences represented there. The sort of thing that prompts people to comment, I want your life. That enviable mix of leisure and travel, the accumulation of pets and children, the landscapes inhabited and the food consumed seems not just desirable, but balanced, satisfied, and unafflicted by burnout. And though work itself is rarely pictured, it's always there. Periodically, it's photographed as a space that's fun, zany, and always rewarding and gratifying. But most of the time, it's the thing you're getting away from. You worked hard enough to enjoy your life. The social media feed, and Instagram in particular, is thus evidence of fruits of hard, rewarding labor and labor itself. The photos and videos that induce the most jealousy are those that suggest that a perfect equilibrium, work hard, play hard, has been reached. But of course, for most of us, it hasn't. Posting on social media, after all, is a means of narrativizing our own lives, what we're telling ourselves our lives look like. And when we don't feel the satisfaction that we've been told we should receive from a good job that's fulfilling, balanced with a personal life that's equally so, the best way to convince yourself you're feeling it is to illustrate it for others. Back to cat talking. So here's the thing. This topic is one that's way bigger than this podcast, way bigger than I can even begin to tackle. And a lot of these things that I'm reading from these articles are like, to me, jaw dropping, but they're like open for discussion. There's so much discussion in this and I'm not, I'm just talking to myself. So it feels like in this and me talking about this, I can't tackle this issue on my own. But what I have felt has been so powerful while reading these two articles was the level of understanding I began to feel. Like, especially that last one about the work and the social media and how we illustrate our lives and how, yeah, I've talked about that and how we judge people's lives and how we know about the highlight reel. And But things are more calculated than we even know that they are calculated. It's like this unconscious calculation, which maybe that doesn't even make sense. But right now it makes sense to me. And I even texted my best friend group chat as I was reading the first article called Why Are Young People Pretending to Love Work? I texted them and I said, I have never felt more understood in my life and sent them the article. And while maybe that was an exaggeration, there is a level of hope in the understanding I felt. And I really want to drive that home. It's exhausting to hear over and over about how much your generation sucks. And at the same time, it's like people are saying that the way we got to this like suckiness that we are has been on our own. Like we did it. And oh my gosh, the shame that's involved in all of that, not just the frustration and the anger. So in that, I want to read one more excerpt from Peterson's essay because the level of exhale I, I let out after this part was like off the charts. And it goes into and speaks into this like misunderstanding that I really feel as a millennial. And this is what she says. 
even the trends millennials have popularized like athleisure speak to our self-optimization. Yoga pants might look sloppy to your mom, but they're efficient. You can transition seamlessly to an exercise class, to a Skype meeting, to a child pickup. We use Fresh Direct and Amazon because the time they save allow us to do more work. That is why the fundamental criticism of millennials that we're lazy and, and entitled is so frustrating. We hustle so hard that we've figured out how to avoid wasting time eating meals and are called entitled for asking for a fair compensation and benefits like working remotely so we can live in affordable cities, adequate healthcare or 401ks so we can theoretically stop working at some point before the day we die. We're called whiny for talking frankly about just how much work we have to do or how exhausted we are by it. But because overworking for less money isn't always visible, because job hunting now means trawling LinkedIn, because overtime now means replying to emails in bed, the extent of our labor is often ignored or degraded. And the passion in my body right now is palpable because millennials aren't a bunch of entitled assholes who don't want to do anything. And we also aren't a bunch of nose in the ground jackhammers who will reach for the stars no matter what gets in the way. We aren't lazy and we aren't machines. We're humans. And we are realizing that. Also, not all of us are equal. So that being said, maybe some of us are lazy or maybe some of us are entitled or I don't know. There's room for so much space and differences and nuance in that. But as a whole, I don't think we fit those narratives. I also found this to be very interesting in Peterson's article where she talks about a social psychologist, Devin Price, who was writing about homelessness. And he said that laziness, at least in the way that most of us generally understand it, simply does not exist. He's quoted saying, if a person's behavior doesn't make sense to you, it's because you are missing a part of their context. It's that simple. And to me, that's very powerful. I think that links me back to the questions we are asking ourselves to cope with the burnout epidemic or the laziness epidemic, as some may say, or some may call it. There's so much context missing. The context on how we got to this point. And you know, this isn't a simple solution. There isn't a simple solution here. And that's where I was going when I was like, I gotta scroll to the bottom of this article. I've gotta figure out what the solution is here. What do we do to solve this problem? It's a huge systemic thing that quite frankly, overwhelms me just like returning my online orders. But I do know that continuing to fuel this system that is flawed isn't going to help. Creating new mantras that cover up how we feel isn't going to work. Manipulating cohorts of people to overwork themselves with the promise of lifelong fulfillment pushes us to burnout. And when people start seeing the cracks in the walls, it's not laziness that develops. It's frustration, it's confusion, and it's an inability to cope, not because we're dumb, but because we haven't been taught what to do here. And in the words of Shauna Nequist, who we love here, we just haven't learned this stuff yet. Peterson said towards the end of her essay that our capacity to burn out and keep working is our greatest value right now. And I loved reading that as much as I hated it because that is where I see an obvious and necessary opening for change. And to be very frank, right now, I don't have an answer for what's next. I don't know what to do. I don't have action steps. So if you fast forward to the end of this, looking for the same thing I was looking for in these articles, you're gonna be disappointed. But what I also know is that awareness is always the first step. So here's that. Here's some awareness to something that's been really confusing and really frustrating for a long time for me. So if you feel like you've been sitting in this place of like, hustle culture is frustrating, 
nobody wants to work. I'm a millennial and I just feel like people have been shitting on me all the time in my generation and, or I'm not a millennial and I'm in a different generation and I'm confused by what is going on in this generation. Hopefully this has begun to like open up some eyes and hopefully it's been as helpful in the sense of an understanding as it has been for me. I highly, highly suggest you read these two articles because I dedicate this whole episode to those articles that would not exist this way if I didn't have them because half of me was reading stuff from them. I really do recommend reading them. They are kind of long, so just beware. (laughs) I just took chunks out. And I recommend sharing this with people and I recommend having conversations and talking about it. And when people say like nobody wants to work and when people say everybody's lazy and when people say to get where you want to go, you just have to freaking hustle maybe don't put a period on that. Maybe start to get curious about why that is. Because if we don't like our circumstances, if we don't get curious, they're just going to stay this way. So here's some awareness for y'all. I hope this was helpful. And in that, I hope that you guys continue to have the day that you need to have, the week you need to have, the month, the year, the whatever it is. And if you have any questions or feedback, if there were any light bulbs that went off in your head as you listen to this, share them with me. You can email me, Catherine at UniTherapyPodcast.com. I would love to hear from you and create a dialogue in that way. So have the day you need to have. I will be back on Wednesday for Couch Talks. Bye. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.